Hey, this is Ed Robertson, and this is the Mountain and Prairie Podcast, where I introduce you to some of the innovative and creative individuals who are helping to shape the future of the American West. I meet most of these people through my work in ranch brokerage and land conservation, or through my hobbies and interests that revolve around spending time in the mountains. My guests include ranchers, writers, entrepreneurs, conservationists, athletes, artists, pretty much anyone who's doing important work and has an interesting story to tell. My guest today is Cameron Dingle. Cameron is a professional lifestyle photographer who lives and works on the quiet side of the Teton Range in Teton Valley, Idaho. Her work focuses on a broad range of subjects with a special emphasis on sustainable agriculture, hunting, fishing, and life in and around her community. In her work and play, Cameron is a devoted proponent of slow living, and she strives to approach her life and profession in a manner that's intentional, simple, meaningful, and positive. Growing up in Valdez, Alaska gave Cameron a unique perspective and toughness, she calls it stubbornness, that has allowed her to pursue a passion for art full-time while staying true to her ideals and a slow-living lifestyle. She entered college on a running scholarship with the intention of becoming an engineer, but decided midway through that art and photography were her true calling. After graduation, she moved straight to Idaho, where she's built a life and business centered around documenting the people and places that make Teton Valley such a special place to live. I've spent a lot of time in Teton Valley and can honestly say that Cameron's work captures the landscape and lifestyle of the valley more authentically than any artist I've ever seen. She's obviously a talented photographer, but she's also a super interesting person who's managed to sidestep a good deal of the busyness and distractions that dominate our present-day lives. In our conversation, we discuss her career trajectory, and we also discuss her love for the community of Teton Valley. We dig deep into the idea of slow living, and she offers some thoughts on ways that people can adopt a slower, more intentional lifestyle. As usual, we discuss favorite books, documentaries, and some of the challenges and opportunities facing the American West. This was a really fun episode full of lots of great info. Be sure to check out the episode notes on the webpage for links to everything we discuss. Hope you enjoy. The first question I've been asking people when I start these interviews is when you meet somebody for the first time and they ask you that question that people love to ask, which is, what do you do? How do you answer that? Well, it's taken me a while to be able to to feel comfortable saying I'm a photographer. Yeah. I'm, I'm finally, like, I feel pretty comfortable telling people I'm a photographer, but I definitely struggle with explaining what kind of photography I do just because a lot of people make the assumption that it's more of a traditional path with portraits and weddings and that sort of thing. So that's what they kind of usually think of when I say I'm a photographer, but um, just kind of explaining that I shoot lifestyle and um you know, with the purpose of advertising or branding or sometimes stock. Um, and that's, yeah, been kind of hard to figure out, you know, because I also really focus on slow living and not everyone knows what that means. And so it's definitely a conversation starter. That's perfect. And that's what I'm looking for, a good conversation. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so as far as I want to talk about the slow living in detail and I, I want to talk about photography in detail. And so just as far as the photography goes, can you give an example of a project you've worked on that you found to be pretty interesting that kind of is a is a good il- illustration of of all the different types of you know photography that you do? Yeah, I recently did a project for Filson um and that was one of their their Filson life stories, which is kind of like their blog, and I wrote a little short article and it was kind of more of a photo essay of my life here in Teton Valley. Um, with my guy and with my dog and our truck and kind of just what we do hunting and fishing and um, just what it looks like to live out West for, for me at least. And so that was pretty fun because it's very dear to my heart. And so, um, and it's, it's my every day. And so it was fun to come up with little scenes that I wanted to include that I would make sure that we get out and shoot. Um, and that just really illustrated living out west and what that's like here for me in Teton Valley. Yeah, and that's how I found you. Um, I, I I subscribed to all Filson's stuff, and I own some of their gear. And I just I think it's a great company. And I saw their 
when they were featuring some of your work. And I just, and I've spent a, a ton of time in Teton Valley myself and I thought you captured it perfectly. I couldn't believe it because it's, it's, you know, I'm, I'm in the ranch business and I used to have to take photos of ranches trying to capture the, the, the scene over there. And I can never even come close to how well you do it. So that's then, and, and so that's initially how I, I found out about you. Um, can you talk a little bit about Teton Valley for people who don't, don't know anything about it? I think everybody who loves the West knows about Jackson hole and the other side of the mountains, but yeah. can, can you just talk a little bit about Teton Valley and why you love it so much? Well, Teton Valley is the quieter side of the Tetons. Um, it's definitely, there's not as much going on. It's not as steezy and, um, it's, it's kind of a combination of farm meets ski town, farm town meets ski town. And, um, cause there are a lot of people that have lived out here for as long as it takes to have, you know, your name on the, um, the, the street signs and, yep there are people who have moved out here to ski and to um, play in the mountains around here. So it's kind of a mixed bag of the type of people that live here. Um, and we have the, the Tetons on one side of the Valley and the big hole mountains on the other. And uh, the Teton river kind of runs a little bit through the middle. And so it's a really beautiful landscape with it being flat and open surrounded by these really big mountains. And um, yeah, the, there's a lot of people who live here to play in them, and there's a lot of people who make a living working in the valley, farming and ranching. Yeah, that's one of the things I think I find so interesting about Teton Valley is that the people there are are making a living there and they're working there, whether it's in agriculture or, or even with the with the ski resort there, Grand Targhee. And mm-hmm. it's um, you don't find that, especially in Colorado where I live, you just don't find um, kind of towns that are that close to ski resorts where there's actual agriculture and, and kind of a real, a real world that's connected to the land. Most of it is just kind of invented towns. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a really special place. How did you end up in Teton Valley? Well, I moved out here right after college. Okay. Um, and I, I wanted to work with a photographer and I, at the time was very interested in the outdoor adventure photography industry. And so I flipped through a Patagonia catalog and pretty much wrote every photographer that had their name printed on one of the pages. And Gabe Rogel was one of the photographers that responded and was like, yeah, come work with me. And I'd been out to Jackson once before my best friend from college grew up there. And so I knew I liked the area. I didn't know much about Driggs. Um, I knew Jackson, Um, but I moved out here kind of, blind to to what Teton Valley was and I worked with Gabe for a little while um and I I just haven't left I've really fallen in love with with uh with Driggs and Victor and Tetonia in this area and so you started out focused on adventure what how did you kind of transition into your your current um, focus well I think working for Gabe and even some of the other photographers around here connecting with them. Um, I've realized not right away, but fairly quickly that, um, that that wasn't a path. I really enjoyed that much. It was, it's pretty fast paced. Mm -hmm. And I think I, I got to experience more of the slow living side of things, the farms and the, um, the people out here that are exploring at a little bit of a, you know, less fast pace. And that I just kind of slowly shifted. And it's definitely a surprise to me. I didn't, I didn't really think that that was going to happen, but it's been a really great shift for me and who I have become. And so I've been really happy with it, but I, I definitely learned what I, I didn't want to be gone all the time. I didn't want to be traveling the world all, you know, I'm a little bit of a homebody and it's, mm-hmm. it's fun to have a home and to stick around and get to explore this place. And so, yeah, that's kind of how it started to shift for me. Yeah, that makes sense. So you mentioned, you've mentioned slow living a few times. How do you define that? 
Well, I think slow living is just, it's really a reaction to this fast living that um, we live every day with social media and um, just be the expectations that our society has created for, you know, us to really feel like we've succeeded success, you know, mm -hmm. and slow living to me is just taking a, a slower look at life and experiencing kind of finding the beauty in more of your everyday. Um, and yeah, that's kind of, yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, you know, in your, in your quest to, to kind of slow things down, have you figured out a way to do that? Um, that's, that's enjoyable versus just kind of fighting against the system. Cause I, I know that if I try to block out, you know, social media or advertising or whatever, but my wife always makes fun of me because it's, it's definitely a battle and it's, it's me, you know, kind of putting up a, a fight against it. Like the other night we were watching something on, on TV and the, the uh, ads came on and I literally like shifted my body so that I couldn't see the ads because I, I don't like ads. And, uh, you know, it, it seemed like that's kind of a, a waste of energy, really fighting it that hard. So how, how do you enjoy the slow living without it being a battle? Well, I think that I've just I've started to tell myself that I don't have to do it all mm -hmm. and have um, just taken a step back from that. I, I really just do what's fun and what feels right, you know. And so when I've been approached by people to do kind of, you know, the influencer advertising kind of thing on Instagram or wherever, like that kind of just makes my skin crawl a little bit because it feels so contrived. And, um, so I think I just have been really, I've tried to stay true to, to what feels right to me, like, and basically just being really honest with myself, like, you know, keeping everything honest. And so I guess, you know, Instagram and, and Facebook, sometimes that's fun. And when it's become, it starts to feel more like work and not like sharing sharing my work, mm -hmm. um, then I kind of let myself, it's, you know, I, it's okay if it slips by the wayside a little bit. It's not really the most important thing in the world. I mean, um, it's definitely a, a great tool as a business person. Um, and it's definitely, it's helped me reach a wider audience and it's fun to get feedback from people all over the world. And so that's the way I look at it is just keeping it fun. Yeah. And I would imagine being intentional about it too is, um, yeah. is important versus just being reactive, you know, whenever you're, because with the number of followers you have and the, the kind of the people that admire your work, I would imagine if you reacted to every little buzz on your phone, you'd be doing it all day long, um, versus being intentional about it. Yeah. And I think I've been lucky with this sort of attention that I have gotten. It's all been really positive for the most part. But when you, when you do start to reach a larger audience, sometimes you get negative stuff <laughs> and that, you know, I'm a sensitive person and that can kind of bring you down, but being able to just look at it, you know, everyone's entitled to their own, their own perspective and, you know, just keeping my work as honest as possible has been a good approach for me. Cause at least I feel good about it. Yeah, that's right. And in the end, um, you know, whenever anybody criticizes me on anything, I just, it's, it's not for them, you know, at work is when you're, when you're doing creative work, it's not for everybody. And if it is for everybody, it's probably not really creative. And yeah. so I think, um, I think that's a, that's a great, Attitude. I wish I could adopt more of that. <laughs> um, do you have any advice for people who'd like to try to adopt a, a kind of a slower lifestyle, um, whether they're they're a creator or an artist or even just somebody with a, a somewhat normal job but feels overwhelmed by all the technology? Is there? Do you have any thoughts on on or any advice that that you could give to those kind of people? Yeah, I would say just begin shedding the things that don't make you feel good. You know, if it's not bringing you happiness, like obviously there are things that we all have to do in life, but when it comes to these voluntary things, you know, if it doesn't bring you happiness and what's the point, you're supposed to be getting joy out of these things. And, um, 
you know, my approach with the fast pacedness is I only, I only do what feels good and what feels right. And I've eliminated a lot of things that have fallen into that realm just cause I'm like, yeah, I don't really need that. So yeah. I would say just kind of start picking away at some of those things that, that you don't need and focus on the things that do feel really good. I think that's great advice. Um, so I'd love to know more about your personal background. I know a little bit from stalking online, which is, I'm sure yeah. that's kind of weird when I, I sent you all the questions and I knew like where you grew up, and, <laughs> but, but, uh, so, so where did you grow up? I grew up in Valdez, Alaska. And how did, did were your parents, uh, did your parents grow up there or how did, how did your parents end up there? No, they met in Montana okay. and, um, they were kind of both the adventurers out of their family and they, um, headed to Alaska and I believe it was my mom that instigated that move. And my dad was like, sure. And so they went up there and they lived all over Alaska, um, and ended up settling in Valdez. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, me and my brother both grew up, grew up there. My brother, um, lived in Cordova, Alaska for a little while, but, um, for the most part, Valdez has been home for a long time. <laughs> So when you look back on your youth in Alaska and kind of compare it to your life now in the lower 48, are there any parts of life when growing up in Alaska that at the time it seemed normal? And now looking back, you think, wow, that was extremely unique or that was extremely weird or that was extremely cool because I've I've spent some time in Alaska and it's seems to almost be its own country with its own cultures and it's such a unique place. What are there any any things that stand out in your mind as being completely unique that you didn't realize at the time? Well, I think everything in Alaska is just a little bit harder. <laughs> you know, like getting food is harder. Like, you know, we had one there's one one road in and out of Valdez and there's one grocery store and um one thing that I remember being feeling like was really normal was how much we traveled, how much we drove. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was five and a half hours to Anchorage from Alaska. And in high school, we did that every weekend for sport trips and stuff. And down here, I feel like it's a big deal for kids to drive like two hours to the next town for a game or a race or something like that. And we just, we drove everywhere to go. It's just, it's such a big state that if you want to get anywhere, it's, you know, a lot of car time or, you know, in the airplane or on a boat or something like that. And so the accessibility, um, is way easier in the Valley. And that's something that I've really loved to, you know, decided that is, is nice to be able to have these trails and everything be very accessible. And whereas Alaska, everything's bigger and vaster and, um, just takes a little bit more effort. Yeah, the scale of things in Alaska is hard to comprehend, when, especially if you've first spent time in the American, you know, the, the American West and the lower 48, and then you go up there and you see some mountains in the distance and you think you have an idea of how big they are. And then you see a plane fly by or something gives you perspective. And all of a sudden you realize how damn big those mountains are. I mean, it's just the valleys are bigger, the mountains are bigger, the wildlife's bigger. It's, it, that place is just, it's amazing. Um, I'm sure that was a, unique childhood are there are there any things you can think back on of of ways that it kind of shaped your outlook and your perspective that carry over today uh yeah I think that it it really added to my stubbornness I don't don't tend to give up on things very easy and um I remember going to college and just some of the adventures I had with friends there I think maybe I would go a little bit overboard. People are like, well, I'm not going to do that. And it's like, well, but we can. We can do it, you know. <laughs> and my friend, just I remember her being like, yeah, but that's not the point. Like, you know, we don't need to do it. I think, like, growing up in Alaska, everything being just a little bit harder, you just kind of get used to, like, well, you just kind of muscle through it or, you know, figure out a way to make it work. And, um, yeah, just kind of. Just tough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess that's another way to put it, but yeah, just, I like, I think of it as just being a little bit hard headed when you approach how you approach things. I think that's important in any uh, walk of life, but I think when you're, you're making a living in professional photography, it's 
probably very important. It's such a competitive field. To, <laughs> that's all. I think everybody could use a little more uh, toughness <laughs> and stubbornness. Um, so where did you go to college? Did you stay up there? Um, I went to college at Humboldt State University in okay. Arcata, California, in the Redwoods. Yeah, how did you decide on that? Well, I wanted to go into environmental engineering, mm-hmm. and they had a really great program there. Um, and I got a running running scholarship there, and things just kind of worked out. I, I wanted to get out of Alaska for sure. I needed to kind of see something different. Um, and I, yeah, really liked Arcata in that area. I've never been there, but I've heard it's just unreal. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a diff. It's a very different kind of beauty. It's l- much less rugged, um, and the redwoods are right there, and so is the coast. And uh, it's a it's a really pretty part of California. So you were running cross country or track or both? Uh, cross country. Yep. That's great, man. That's uh, I do a lot of running now, but looking back when I was sixteen or seventeen, I. It's talking about toughness. I just wasn't tough enough to do that, uh, to push myself that hard. <laughs> um, so you, you went there with the intention of being an engineer and you came out an artist. Those are, that's about the two most opposite <laughs> ends of the spectrums. Can you, can yeah. you talk about how that happened? Well, I ended up graduating with a science degree mm-hmm. in, um, natural resources. Okay. So I definitely made a shift internally as an artist and I finished out my degree uh, in the science program. Um, and I, with my degree in natural resources, it kind of allowed for me to be able to lighten up on my course load. And I was able to take some of the art classes, some of the photography classes in the dark room and digital. And, um, I pretty much knew when I graduated that I wasn't going to use that degree, but I've always been really interested in the environment and, Mm -hmm. um, I think I just needed to take a step back from it being, you know, look at it more big picture environmentally versus um, kind of getting down to the math. And I I think that my brain wasn't really wired to, to be an engineer. So um, I made that shift pretty much right away. Yeah. And so when you were mentioning, when you mentioned that you started reaching out to photographers, was that at the end of your college career or soon thereafter? Yeah, that was my senior year. I was pretty much sure that I, um, I wanted to pursue photography and see where it would take me, see if I could make it work. Um, and yeah, senior year, I pretty, I was trying to, to see where I could end up next and, um, who I can learn from. Sure. And I saw in some article that had been written about you that you spent some time during college working with the Alaska Marine Conservation Council and that that may have played a mm-hmm. role in your, your shift to, to art versus sure. engineering is, can you talk a little bit about that experience? Yeah, that was really my first time that I, um, had a mission with my photography. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to travel around Alaska and photograph the fishing industry. And, um, and there was a purpose there. And I was still doing some work that fell into that um, kind of engineering category. I was working on a project um, that we called the greening the fishing industry, looking at different ways to make it a little bit more environmentally friendly with um, different adaptations to fishing boats and stuff. But what I really enjoyed was getting out to, um, the villages and taking photos of the fishing community and, um, that lifestyle. And that really sparked my interest in figuring out how to make it work as a profession. Got it. And so when you look at those, those fishermen, and then you look at some of the ranchers and farmers, they're in Teton Valley, you know, they're both trying to make a living off of the, you know, the earth. Yeah. Um, or do you see any similarities between the two? Uh, I, I'm not at all familiar with the salmon, you know, salmon professional fishermen or commercial fishermen. So are, is there any, any overlap there as far as their outlook or their respect for the land, respect for natural yeah. resources? I mean, they all have respect for, um, 
natural resources, I would say, or the, the people that I have encountered with it, um, you know, cause they are trying to make a living, um, off the land and also very hardworking people mm-hmm. that are out there in the elements. And, um, you know, it, it could, it, it, there's risk involved as well in both. Like it could be a good season or it could not. Oh yeah. There's so much out of their control. I mean, Oh, you know, 75% of it is completely out of their control. Yeah. But I definitely, um, I really enjoy photographing people that work hard and work with their hands. And so both of those are really fun to get to be involved with projects that involve fishermen or ranchers or farmers or people that are, um, working hard. Yeah, I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I feel like ranchers um, and sometimes commercial fishermen get a bad rap because people think, you know, producing meat or catching fish is is bad for the environment. And I think that may be the case when you're talking about these corporate um, massive organizations that do it. But, you know, when you're talking about small ranching families or families of commercial fishermen, they have no choice but to make it sustainable because if it's not, they don't make any money. And their mm-hmm. family, you know, goes broke. Exactly. Uh, so I think they're they're more of a conserv they're more conservationist than anybody. Um, yeah, at least I that's would my agree opinion. With, I would agree with that, especially in these um, you know smaller communities where that's their livelihood, and it's not a big corporate um, company. It's these family family owned businesses. They definitely have an understanding of where what their role is in in that world. Yeah. For generations. That's what's interesting. They do it for generation after generation. Um, so I, I do a lot of work in land conservation and uh, it's a personal and professional interest of mine. Um, but in talking with people on this podcast and just people in general, I've found out that the word conservation can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And so I'm always interested to ask people like you, how do you define conservation or how do you think about conservation? Cause you've got a, really unique perspective on it. Well, I just really see it simply as sustainability, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and conserving to be able to have it continue, Um, you know, and not, not any more than that, but just, you know, taking it into very simple terms. It's just, it's keeping things sustainable. Yeah, I think that's that's a it's a good way of putting it, um, and it it also lets you you know, remind you how complicated <laughs> it is at the same time. Um, so I've seen on your your social media and, and your your work with Filson that you are a big uh, you enjoy fishing and, and hunting. And uh, can you talk a little bit just about your your interest in those sports and and kind of what they mean to you, both for fun and from kind of a, a slow living standpoint? Yeah. Um, well, they're both really things that I started doing when I moved out here. Um, I had never fly fished before, but there, that definitely falls into the slow living category for me because it's not about anything else but the moment and being in touch with the land. And, um, from the hunting perspective, I mean, I definitely approach it as a way to, get out in nature and connect. Um, but also as I take it very seriously when it comes to killing an animal, Mm um, you know, it being with the purpose of putting food on the table and being able to be in touch with the meat that I eat, um, and understanding kind of what that connection is, is like, And so, yeah, both of them, I feel like, are definitely ways for me to slow down. And uh, they fit right in with the slow lifestyle that I'm trying to live. Do you have a favorite fishing spot um, there in Teton Valley? Um, Yeah, I do. Uh, my boyfriend would kill me if yeah, I. Yeah, you don't have just you don't have to give a specific <laughs> spot, but maybe uh-huh. like twenty mile radius. <laughs> well, you know, I love fishing just in the valley. Like, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different little spots that you can go. Like, 
just down the road and you, you know, hop in the truck and it's just a couple miles from home. And so I, those are always fun evenings for me and versus a big day where you put the boat on and you're, you know, you can just go out down to the river in the evening, fish for a couple hours and catch what you catch. Yeah. That's what I like. I used to go to the, uh, Hoback down, just, just leave uh-huh. town in Jackson and go down there after work in the summer. Yeah. God, it's the best. There's nowhere better than where you live for that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a good spot for and the nice thing is that you can drive to a hole and you may see a few people, you drive to the next one, there's not gonna be anybody there. So you can have it all to yourself, you know, depending on what time of year it is. Have you gotten a elk or a deer this this hunting season? You know, I have not tried my hand in hunt, big game hunting yet. Mm-hmm. I have really just been bird hunting. It's been my introduction. But um, my boyfriend did shoot a really nice uh, bull during bow season. Oh, wow. Um, so we filled the freezer and uh, almost didn't have enough room for it. But that was pretty exciting. And he's been deer hunting um, as well. Yet to get a deer. But... Um, I was thinking that I was going to try to shoot a cow elk this fall, but I think that I am going to wait until next uh, next year and give that a try. Maybe we'll have two elk in the freezer. Yeah, you need a pretty big freezer for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so when you're looking back, you know, you, you've built this life and this career for yourself there in Teton Valley, doing what you want to do at the pace you want to do it. But it's, uh, you know, it's a relatively, um, it's outside the norm of, I would imagine what most of your, your classmates in college were doing. It definitely is the, the path, uh, less traveled. So mm-hmm. when you, when you're thinking about that, um, you know, what, what gave you the confidence to pursue that, that path versus, you know, just getting a job like everybody else seems to do? I mean, are there any, do you credit your parents, your, your upbringing? What, what do you think? kind of gave you that that confidence to go out and take a chance doing what you want to do? I think I would credit my parents. You know, I don't think that they were expecting mm-hmm. <laughs> this path, but um, they definitely have encouraged me to uh, go after what I want. And they've given me a lot of confidence in believing that I can do anything I do want to do. And so when I left for college, um, one of the stipulations was that they, they really were adamant about me finishing my degree sure. and at least having that as a fallback. Um, but for the most part, yeah, they were really supportive. And I think that without that base, I think it would have been a lot harder to get up the confidence to go and, and try something really out of the box. Um, do you have any role models or mentors and, and they could be, you know, like your parents, people, you know, or historical figures, people you've read about, uh, that you, that you've never met alive or dead, you know, are, are there any people that you look at them as a, as a great role model as to, to how to live, live a, a meaningful life? Yeah. You know, Forrest Woodward, who is a photographer and was also, um, an instructor of mine when I went to school in Missoula for um, a few weeks with the Rocky Mountain School of Photography. Mm -hmm. He has definitely been an inspiration to me as a photographer who shoots what he wants to shoot and has a very distinct style and is definitely a free spirit and is very honest with his work. Um, And so he's someone who I look up to a lot. Um, in the photography world. And um, I also have another instructor that was um, at RMSP and his name is Mike Tittle. And he's also a photographer, but he does a lot more of the commercial side of things. But he has really been an inspiration for me as far as the business side of things. Um, He's very, very well versed in the photography business and you know, has really been there, you know, guided me a lot in post, um, post RMSP. And so, uh, I'm really grateful for having both of those guys, um, be so willing to, to give me advice and, 
um, tell me what they think. Yeah. That seems like a perfect combo. You got one on the, you know, that's on the extreme artist end and then one that is on more of the business end. And if you can combine the, the best of both of those, you're, you're in good shape as you are. Um, if you, if you weren't an artist, like if you hadn't have picked this up, um, and pursued it as hard as you have, are are there any other career paths you could see yourself following? Yeah, there's a lot actually. I think that I would have loved to have tried my hand as a farmer Mm -hmm. Um, and my good friend in town who is a farmer. She says it's not too late. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, you know, (laughs) I could still, if that was in my future um but I also think that I would really have loved to have been some kind of maker an artist that was creating um you know functional pieces of clothing or um you know a potter or someone that was working with my hands um I think that that would be something that I would really enjoy and I love curating things and having a very curated brand I think would be a really fun part of that um but yeah or like yeah working with animals like you know being a horse packer or um all the things I really love to photograph I'm like wow this would be really fun to do um yeah yeah, well, it sounds like all you know where you given where you live and the people that you interact with, all those are uh, are options if you want them. That's that's really cool. Um, so I would imagine that there are. Well, I know that there are tons of people who look at your work and hear about your life and think, "I want something like that." Um, is there any advice that you give to aspiring photographers or aspiring artists of any kind? Maybe say somebody who's a, a junior in college that is trying to plan out or or look ahead as to what they want their life to look like. What would, what kind of advice would you, would you give for somebody like that? I would say a couple, I have a couple thoughts. I, one thing would be just don't wait for the perfect scenario. Like Mm -hmm. nothing's gonna, it's never going to line up perfectly. That's a great, great piece of advice. You kind of have to just go for it. And the other one, as far as like other photographers, I get a lot of people that reach out to me and they want to know what kind of gear I'm using. What camera body do you use? What's your lens lineup? And I would, I'm a very non-technical person. And so I would just say, don't get so hung up on the gear. I mean, people take amazing photos with their iPhones. It's really much more about the content. And if you um, are creating images that you're really passionate about and excited about then the gear like certainly to some extent a nice camera will go pretty far but like you know I'm not afraid to admit that like I don't know all the functions on my you know the menu in my camera (laughs) that's awesome what I like to do to use and it works for me and sometimes I play around and experiment but um yeah, the gear is less important to me. It's really more about what's in front of the camera. I think that's great advice. I think gear in general, no matter what you're talking about, can be an excuse. Um, and yeah, I think it's obviously in, in artistic endeavors it is. Um, and I think even in sports it is. You know, even as something as simple as running, people think get all hung up on the specifics of their shoes or some yeah. heart rate monitor watch they need, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And, in the end, you just need to go running and in your, right. in your line of work, you just need to go take photos and get experience. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah even with this podcast, yeah. you know, I, I just bought the cheapest microphone they had on Amazon and here we go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I've got one more question about photography. That's kind of a self-serving question, but I take a lot of photos from my work. And so is, if there's one piece of advice you could give me and my, I would say mine's less artistic and more, the the point of it is to showcase really cool um, big ranches all over the West. And so is there is there a simple piece of advice you would give uh, a not-so-good photographer like me? <laughs> um, well, I would say whatever stands out to you as the, the really neat part of what you want to showcase, mm-hmm. like shoot that, shoot what you love, shoot what um, – gets you really excited like what are you 
honing in on that you see that maybe someone else, when they view it, that's not going to stand out to them. Yep. Uh, you know, maybe find that little, little sparkle that stands out to you and focus on that and try to showcase that in an image. Cause I think that that can go a long ways. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a really good suggestion. Um, I've got a few questions that I've been asking everybody um, that I have on the podcast, and I've gotten some really interesting answers. So I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, they're they're fairly quick questions, but you don't need to give quick answers. Um, the first one is: Do you have any favorite books that you recommend to people? And they can be about the American West or about really about any subject. Just any books that you that have been meaningful to you. You know, I'm in the middle of reading one right now that I really like, and it's called turn hair sweet corn um and it's not necessarily about the west it's about the organic farming movement mm-hmm. and it's really about this woman's experience um and her relationships with different people and with the land with the animals and her customers and um it's a really really cool book that i was really surprised at how much of a page turner it was but um yeah that's a it's a really good one that I would recommend. Cool. Yeah. I've never heard of that. So that's, that's exactly why I ask. Um, kind of along the same lines, are there any resources, whether blogs or, or other books on, on the idea of slow living that, that you think other people who are interested in the subject could, should check out? Huh? Um, slow living. Well, you know, there's another woman that I, um, I follow along with and she's a photographer and her name is Jillian and her, um, her brand is called, you'd find her under the noisy plume. Mm-hmm. She has a blog and she has, um, an Instagram with 40,000 followers. And I think that she does a really good job of showcasing slow living as well. And it's in a different way, but she's, she lives in Idaho as well. And she's a hunter and a fly fisher. Um, and, and she, uh, is in touch with the food that she eats and, um, she's also an artist as a, a metalsmith, but, um, she, I find a lot of inspiration from her. Sometimes some of the things that she showcases, like they give me a little bit of a, um, a pick me up and, uh, yeah, she showcases things in a little bit, little different way. That's perfect. Um, and I'll have links to all of these, these, uh, books and, and like her Instagram and all that. I'll have that on the, the webpage so people can easily access it. Are there any documentaries that you particularly enjoy? Yeah. You know, I watched one recently, um, on Netflix called unbranded. Oh yeah. And- I interviewed the guy. Ben oh, Masters. Yeah. I, I interviewed him, uh, maybe a few months back. Oh, I'll have to go back and listen to it. I thought that was such a cool documentary. Um, yeah, focusing on their their trip with wild mustangs that they had adopted, and yeah, it was it was really it was fun, really fun, and um, had a really good message. Yeah, he's a cool guy, and the fact that he was able to pull that off just a few years out of college, I thought that was amazing. And he's, ah. he's doing a ton of really really important work with the BLMs. Um, wild Mustang program. And, uh, yeah, that, I, I agree with you. That's one of the best documentaries I've seen in a long time. Yeah. I w- really liked it. I saw another one and I, I can't remember the name right now, but it's just like a 20 minute deal, 25 minute deal. Um, uh, but Patagonia produced it. I think it's called maybe unbroken ground or common ground, but it's about sustainable agriculture, agriculture. Uh-huh. And they, they go up and they follow around some salmon fishermen in Alaska and they follow a buffalo rancher in South Dakota. I'll, I'll put links to it, and I'll email you the the link because you'd really yeah. enjoy it because it kind of hits on everything that you're that you have an interest and experience in. Mm-hmm. I think I saw a trailer on that, but I haven't. I didn't see the full thing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty. You know, it's like twenty five minutes. So it's it's really good. Um, is there any activity you enjoy? I know you like to fish, hunt. You know, obviously photography. Uh, spend time outside. Are there any? activities you do that would be surprising to people listening to this? Yeah. Um, I'm really into minimalism Mm -hmm. and like, this is kind of a funny one, but, um, I love getting rid of stuff. 
And you know that feeling when you're on a backpacking trip and all you have is what you need? Yes. I'm always kind of like trying to have that feeling in my everyday. And so I love just kind of streamlining my home, my closet, my life in general. And so, um, like it feels so good to kind of just eliminate things from your life that are not serving any purpose or don't bring you joy, you know, or don't make you feel fantastic. Um, and so, yeah, like, um, just kind of taking a box to the thrift store or, you know, moving things out that are not, um, that are not, bringing you joy or, you know, that's, that's something that, that maybe would be surprising, but is um, something that I really like to do. I, that's awesome. I, I just did that a few weeks ago and I went, my, my wife and daughter were gone for the weekend and I went nuts and I threw out or either threw out or took to the um, Salvation Army it seemed like about 150 pounds of stuff and it, yeah. I've never felt so great. We don't even have a lot of stuff. I don't even know where yeah. the stuff came from, but uh, it'll pile up. I think that's, that's, I think everybody should do more of that. Um, yeah. You have to stay on top of it, but you, you really do. I think yeah. <laughs> my wife and I lived in Central America for a year and that really kind of rebooted my thoughts on the amount of junk you need. Um, Cause it was, it was some of the most, it was probably the most simple time of my life. And it was also one of the, the, the most rewarding because you're not just over overrun with all this crap. Yeah. It's amazing. Like how much junk we feel like we need as Americans. Yeah. It's, it's insane. Well, I could talk about it for hours and I'd probably get all <laughs> fired up about it. But, um, you know, so growing up in Alaska, living in Teton Valley, spending so much time outdoors, is there a certain memory you have of the craziest thing that's ever happened to you outdoors? And it can be funny or scary or powerful. Um, just, uh, when you think about the craziest thing that's ever happened to you, what, what comes to mind? This was a really hard one. I, I don't know that I have a good answer for that. Um, I feel like a lot of people as knowing that I'm Alaskan, people are like, what's your craziest bear story? <laughs> And I'm like, I don't, you know, I really haven't had like a crazy experience. I've had friends that have, but yeah. you know, I personally, you know, I'm, I haven't really had anything that to me stood out as, as nuts, but, um, well, I, I, bet. I want to come up with something cause I mean, I've done some really fun things and, um, I definitely have push the limits at times, but I want to, I might have to come back to that one because I think I might have something I'd want to share, but. And I I think your perspective is probably skewed too. growing up in Alaska. (laughs) What you think is boring or normal. Most people would think is insane. At least that's, that's when I, the times I've spent in Alaska, I've I've seen stuff and I've thought that's one of the craziest things I've ever seen. And it seems to be (laughs) relatively normal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite location in the West or in the world? And it could be anything like a, a certain mountain, a certain stretch of river, a town, you know, just when you think of your favorite place in the West, what comes to mind? One of my favorite places is McCarthy, Alaska. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's this little place in the middle of nowhere. And it's a little town where there's a parking lot and you have to walk across the bridge to get to town. Um, and it's, you know, not made up of much, but the Kennecott mine, copper mine is there. It's totally non-functioning. And, uh, there's a big, the root glacier and, um, there's a, a guiding outfit and it's just a really, there's all these little red buildings that are broken down and it's, it's out there. And, um, I had some good times there just, you know, open mic nights or, um, just passing through like it's it's a ways out of your way but um I've been there a couple times and it's definitely it stands out as a one of my favorite places um this wasn't on the list I sent you but but speaking of Alaska if people if somebody was going on a vacation up there and they didn't want to do the normal tourist stuff is there anywhere or any particular places you would recommend that that people visit um that would be really cool, but not overrun with the fanny pack crew that likes to <laughs> on the, on the uh, tourist circuit. Yeah. You know, 
one, a couple summers I worked for a kayak guiding outfit out of Valdez and we'd take people out into Prince William Sound mm-hmm. and see kayaks and you could pick a, you know, whatever kind of adventure you wanted out there. But there's a, there's a lot of different cabins that you can kayak to. Um, and you can just follow the the shore out in Prince William Sound and, um, kind of hop from glacier to glacier even. And that is just, it stands out to me as one of the, the more, uh, beautiful places in Alaska and out on the ocean. You're not, you know, if you get out far enough in Prince William Sound, you're not going to see anyone. Um, and you'll see a lot of wildlife and, um, definitely you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be super experienced or, um, <clears throat> you know, it's not particularly hard to, to see kayak, but it's a really cool way to see a part of Alaska that, um, I think is one of the, one of the cooler p- pieces. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's a very good idea. Um, oh, and this is one other question I had that, uh, I forgot to ask, but I saw on your Facebook page that it looks like you had done the Mount Marathon, uh, when you were, when you were growing up in Alaska. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. My family did that race every 4th of July. Can um, you talk about that, that race and, and give people an idea? Cause that's, that's really hardcore. <laughs> it is kind of hardcore. That might be one of those things that that's crazy. Thinking is normal. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, that's really crazy. I I train with some guys around here who do that, um, who go up to Alaska every year and do it. And I mean, when you watch the videos of that, it is unbelievable. (laughs) Yeah. You know, there's the required safety meeting before if you're a first time runner and people, they auction off place. It's quite hard to get into, um, nowadays and people that, are not from Alaska or, you know, want to run it as well. Um, but they, you know, I've been there when they've auctioned off like a single spot in a race for over a grand. Oh, wow. So give a, give a quick overview of the race for people who aren't familiar with it. So it starts in the town of Seward and Mm -hmm. you run up towards Mount Marathon. Um, and the beginning of the race there's there's many different routes that you can take at the beginning and then it all piles into pretty much a, a single file line um you know and you could be as gutsy as you want uh getting up that first part of the mountain there's kind of a rock wall or there's uh, a little trail through these mangled roots um and people fly and i mean the olympian keegan randall you know she ran in um, and didn't even win it, you know, <laughs> like certain years, you know, so like people in Seward or all over Alaska, they train on Mount Marathon, um, all year. And it's usually either like super hot or raining or there's still snow. And, um, I remember the <clears throat> first year I ran it as a, in the adult category. Cause as a, as a youth, you run it until you're like, until you turn 18, you run half of the mountain. So you okay. go and you turn around, um, a stake in the ground that people are, uh, counting your numbers. And so the first year I ran it as an adult, there were snow patches on the upper half of the mountain. And my mom, who also ran the race, um, her advice to me was to, you've got to find two rocks, two big rocks, <laughs> And then you get on the snow and you ride kind of your foot down, but you can't let your butt touch the snow or you'll get these big raspberries. Yeah. And so the rocks are to help you when you get reach the bottom of the snow to not ha- cause you to just fly into the shale. Oh, so it's like a, it's like a, uh, ice axe, <laughs> like you to self arrest. <laughs> so you dig those in and that can help you slow down. Cause otherwise you just like fly right down. Um, but yeah, pretty, um, pretty cool race. And then, you know, when you get back to that bottom spot, there's people who have like, you know, a three diff three step process to like get down the gully, you know, it's pretty much like rock climbing. Um, or, you know, there's slower routes that you don't have to take, but, um, then you run back to the finish line, you hit the cement and your legs feel like rubber and they're jelly or something like that. And usually if you're not bleeding, you didn't, People probably don't think you went as fast as yeah. you should. 
So yeah, it's you know you're just caked in mud, and you know you tape your socks to your shoes so you don't get all those rocks into the inside of your shoes. And um, there's a, just a huge audience lining the street cheering for people coming down. It's a big event. There's vendors. It's a big Fourth of July party. Um, and yeah, pretty. It's a pretty cool event. That's really cool. And that proves that your perspective is skewed if you just kind of <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> um, so last question as far as these rapid fire questions, what do you think is the biggest challenge and or opportunity facing the American West today? This one was hard for me as well, because I feel like there's a couple different answers. Um, I think. I I would probably say our our um challenge with with unsustainable agriculture mm-hmm. um and figuring out a way to keep that sustainable and do it in a way that doesn't um rip the land with its from its you know nutrients and um managing that I would think would be um, you know, it's something we face in Teton Valley with the different types of farmers, you know, the organic farmers versus some of the bigger corporate um, farms. And there's kind of, you know, there's different ways to to look at that. To me, that stands out as a problem that at some point there's going to need to be a, a dialogue about kind of on a bigger level than it is currently. Yeah, I think that's 100 percent true. And I think it's not I think that problem is it faces everybody right outside your front door there and but it also is a global um, issue as well. There's a, I just read a book called the end of plenty and it's about the kind of coming global food crisis. And Mm -hmm. it's really, it's, it starts out really scary um, with all the stuff that's wrong, but then the author gives kind of some case studies of different people, both fishing and, and, you know, ranching and farming that are doing it the right way. And they're, they kind of give hope to it all. And so that, that's a really good book. Um, I, I enjoyed that. This guy who wrote it's a National Geographic um, reporter. And so it's, it's eye-opening, um, even for somebody like me who kind of understands the stuff. Um, so next to the last question, if you could make a request of the people listening to this podcast, what would it be? And the people that listen to this are just, in general, people who love the American West um, whether that's from an artistic standpoint or athletic standpoint or, you know, ranching professional standpoint, um, just people that have an interest in the American West. Um, I would, I would say, you know, I would urge people to really try the, the living slow thing. Um, and I think it fits really well into, you know, it blends really well with people who love the American West and all that it stands for. Um, and I think as we get farther and farther down the road, all of these distractions that kind of urge us to live faster, um, they're just going to keep becoming greater. And so to kind of, um, bring that perspective into your life and just try to eliminate some of those things that, that don't feel like they're adding to your life um, and just be able to focus on the things that really do, you know, whether that's getting outside and um, exploring or being connected to your food or um, yeah, just uh, connecting with the earth in some way. Yeah. I agree with all that. So how can people connect with you? Um, I know you've got a great Instagram, you've got a great webpage. What's the best way for people to, to find out more? Well, you know, I have a website and that's kind of serves as my portfolio, but my Instagram is really more of like my day to day things that I'm doing and excited about. And, um, I try to keep it pretty fun and, and honest and, uh, just, uh, connect people to the projects that I'm working on or, um, just things that are happening in my life. So, um, yeah, my Instagram handle is just Cameron Dangle, and that's a good place to follow along and connect and reach out and tell me what you think or share something that, um, that you've done or, um, just kind of keep in touch. 
That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. It was really, really interesting. And um, uh, hopefully I'll, I'll meet you one of these days when I'm through Teton Valley. Yeah, well, I'm really flattered that you asked me to be part of it. And um, yeah, definitely would be awesome to connect in person sometime. So yep. thanks for thanks for inviting me to do this. Yeah, well, keep up the good work. Thank you. Hey, it's Ed again. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And thanks for listening to that particular episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Before you go, I've got three quick things. Number one, if you like the podcast, please do me a huge favor. Either pass it along to a friend who may be interested, share it on your social media, and or go to iTunes and give it a five-star review. All those things would mean a lot to me, and they would really help to spread the word about the podcast. Number two, if you've listened to many of these episodes, you know that I love reading and I love talking about books. Every other month, I send out a quick email with a few books that I've recently read and highly recommend. The subjects are varied, but they're pretty much all nonfiction with an emphasis on history, biographies, adventure narratives, and topics related to the American West. There are no sales pitches for ranches, no spam, no other kind of nonsense, just books. So if you'd like to sign up for the list, head to Mountain and Prairie slash reading, or just go to Mountain and Prairie and there's a massive tab at the top that says book recommendations. Click on it. There are a ton of good books that I've read. Some of the old email lists are on there. Uh, You can go crazy. There are a lot of books. And finally, if you know anyone I should interview for the podcast, please don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. All my contact info is at mountainandprairie.com, and I'm on all the social media stuff, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, blah, blah, blah. So feel free to reach out. I'd love to have some recommendations and suggestions of interesting people I should meet. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon.